With every man's hand against me, I am here in despair. And why? For doing what Brutus was honoured for. And yet, I, for striking down a greater tyrant than they ever knew, am looking upon as a common cutthroat. This is John Wilkes Booth, and this is the good, the bad, and the pure evil. So John Wilkes Booth was born in Maryland on May 10, 1838, to British Shakespearean actor Junius Brutus Booth and his mistress, Mary Ann Holmes, who had moved from England to the US in June 1821. It wouldn't be until 1851 that his parents would be able to marry after Junius's wife, Adelaide, got a divorce on grounds of adultery. May 10, 1851, John's 13th birthday would be his parents' official marriage. As a kid, John was sporty, popular, and very good at, ho- uh, at horsemanship and fencing. He went to Bel Air Academy and was said to be capable if he was interested. So he had the smarts to keep up, but learning didn't interest him. 1851-ish, he had him at Milton Boarding School and then on to an Espical Military Academy. Sadly, when Boot was 14, his father died and shortly after this, he left school. Before that, while at Milton, a fortune teller read his palm, giving him a grim destiny. His life would be short and met with a bad end. His sister said this hung over Boot having him write it down and bring it up when he could, especially in sad moments. By 16, he was interested in theatre and politics. He was a candidate in the 1854 elections for the anti-immigrated party, No uh, No Nothing. He wanted to be a great actor like his father and brothers and began elocution lessons and Shakespearean lessons. August 14 to 1855, Booth hit the stage as the Earl of Richmond in Richard III. But it wasn't great and Booth missed his lines and the crowd booed him off stage. So it wasn't the start he wanted, however he continued on. 1857, he joined the Arch Street Theatre and played a full season. To avoid being compared to his famous family, he was billed as J.B. Wilkes. February 1858, he played Lucrezia Borgia. And on opening night came nerves, and Boot was to come on stage announcing Madame Ayane Patricio Pandolfo. He came on stuttering, stumbling, and eventually said, Damn it, who am I? Although not meant to be a joke, this had the crowd roar with laughter. 1858, he did 83 plays, and he, was sa- he said his favourite character was Brutus, who was the slayer of a tyrant. Today, People's Magazine does The Sexiest Man Alive, and in 2022, The Sexiest Man was Chris Evans. Boot, he was the sexy man of his day, although it was more poshly put, being called the handsomest man. Critics had him a natural genius with an amazing memory, and some weren't too impressed with his acting. He stood at 5'8 with coal black hair, and was lean like a runner. On stage, he was energetic, leaping from one side to the next, arms out, hands all dramatically swinging. Although good, he wasn't great. He could have been, but Brute seemed to do enough to get by. And this adds to the fact that women drooled over him, had him wealthy by the end of the 1850s. 
with uh, taking in $20,000 a year or just over $600,000 today, which for a theatre actor is pretty impressive. 1860, Booth started a national tour as a leading actor. He had lawyer Matthew Cannon as his agent and went off to cities like New York, Chicago, Boston, Georgia, Alabama and many, many more. Newspaper reviews had him energetic, action, sprightly and was said to be natural, thinking and genius in his approach. October 1860, he was in Columbus performing and somehow was accidentally shot in his hotel. Many believed he would die, but he survived. The Civil War started April 12, 1861, and Booth was in Albany. I was always taught from a young age that you never talk religion or politics in, uh, in conversations as it turns too quickly. But Booth must have forgotten this or was never told it, because he openly backed the site while in the north, which angered the locals and they demanded him banned from the stage, calling his opinions treasonable. As the Civil War went on, dividing the country, Booth would appear in Union and Border States, where he continued to wow in his performances. January 1863, he was in Boston, and April in Washington, and July he finished the acting season in Cleveland, as the Battle of Gettysburg was happening. So a friend of Booth's called John T. Ford opened Ford's Theatre on November 9th and Booth was the first male lead to appear here and would do many plays here including his final one in, on March 18, 1865. But before that, Booth was for the site and was against the idea of ending slavery. On December 2nd, 1859, abolitionist leader John Brown was being hung and Booth attended it. Brown was being executed for treason, murder, slave, insurrection, all from a raid at Harper's Ferry. Booth read this in a newspaper and wanted to go, but public viewing wasn't allowed. So Booth got a uniform of the Richmond Greys, an infantry regiment, and travelled with 1,500 guards going to the gallows. Booth got near the scaffold, and Brown was hung. Booth was happy with the outcome although was impressed how Brown faced death. So Abraham Lincoln was elected the uh, the US 16th president on November 6, 1860. Booth did not like him at all and made a speech, although never delivered a month later. In this speech, he denounced the North abolitionists and made it clear he supported the South and backed slavery. The Civil War would happen and 11 Southern states left the Union. Boots Maryland, some slaveholders wanted to join the Confederate States, but voted against succession April 28, 1861. It also voted not to allow federal troops to pass sight through the state by rail and asked Lincoln to remove the troops in Maryland. Maryland wanted to remain in the Union but not to take part in the war against Southerners. If this was a go, Washington would have been exposed and would have made prosecution of war against the South impossible, which is what the legislation was all about. But Lincoln wasn't feeling this and he had the law suspended and then put martial law into effect in Baltimore and many other areas. He then ordered many Maryland political leaders to be put into jail and he placed federal troops in Baltimore. Many, including Booth, felt Lincoln doing this was very unconstitutional. 
So Boot was pro-Confederate, I think we can come to that idea, but his family and many locals were very much divided. He made it clear he loves the site and made it very clear he hated Lincoln. His brothers Edwin, also an actor, was completely opposite the Boot. He wouldn't perform in the site and completely ignored Boot's rants of the North and Lincoln. 1863, Boot was in St. Louis and was arrested for saying the president and government should go to hell. His charge was for making treasonous remarks, and Boot was released once he took an oath of allegiance to the Union, and he had to pay a fine. Boot allegedly was part of the Knights of the Golden Circle, and they wanted to make a new country where slavery is legal. If you ever saw The Handmaid's Tale show, you'll get this idea. In The Handmaid's Tale, a new country called Gilead exists in the US, and in Gilead, they have their own rules and leaders very different to the US. So that's what the Knights of the Golden Circle were doing, or trying to do, and their new country was going to be called Golden Circle. February 1865, Booth becomes obsessed with a woman called Lucy Lambert Hale. She was the daughter of Senator John Hale, and they became secretly engaged until Booth received his mother's blessing. Lucy claims politics were never spoken, and she never knew of his hatred towards Lincoln. Uh, now, going back to 1864, it's the presidential election, and it was looking likely again to be North victory, with Lincoln to be re-elected, which had Booth livid. Booth blamed Lincoln for the war and for the side's troubles. When war erupted, Booth promised his mother he wouldn't enlist, but he wouldn't be okay with this, having it eat at him over and over for not fighting for what he believed in, his beloved side. He wrote to his mother saying, quote, I have begun to deem myself a coward and to despise my own existence, end quote. Spiraling Booth came up with a plan to kidnap Lincoln. He'd go to Lincoln's summer home miles from the White House. He'd smuggle him across the Potomac River and into Richmond. Then he'd get him to Confederates and once in their hands, exchange can be arranged for Confederate Army prisoners in the North. This, in Booth's mind, would bring the war to an end or having the Union recognise the Confederate government and making him a hero. So November 1864, Lincoln wins and his aim was to abolish slavery completely with a constitutional amendment. At the same time, Booth is busy with the kidnap plan. Edwin, the brother and pro-Union, banned Booth visiting him anymore. March 4, 1865, Inauguration Day, and Booth attends as a guest of his secret fiancée, Lucy. Nothing happens, although Booth later says it would have happened, and it would have been an excellent chance to happen to kill Lincoln. So March 17th, Booth hears Lincoln was planning to attend the play Still Waters Run Deep. So Booth gathers his band of mischiefs and on the road near the play in hopes of kidnapping Lincoln, but Lincoln never shows. At the very last minute, Lincoln decided to attend an event at the National Hotel, where ironically, Booth was staying. So you can imagine Booth's feelings right now, and April 12, 1865, more bad news was coming with Robert E. Lee, Confederate General, surrendering. Booth told Lewis J. Oweckman he was done with the stage and the only play he wanted in on was Venice Preserved. 
Weckman had no clue what he was talking about, but the play Venice Preserved is done by Thomas Otway and it's about an assassination. With his kidnapping plot dead in the water, Booth decided now that assassination was his goal. Good Friday, April 1865, Booth heads to the Ford Theatre. Here he's told that the President Lincoln and his wife were attending that night to see the play Our American Cousin. This was it. Booth went to the stable owner James Pumphrey uh, to get his getaway horse. Later he told his goons Lewis Powell, David Herald and George Atzerdut of what he was going to do and assigned Powell to kill Secretary of the State Seward, Atzerdut was to kill Vice President Johnson and Herald was to help in the escape. Killing Lincoln, his successor, and his successor's successor, in Booth's mind, would throw the state into the unknown, and it would have if the successor's successor was Foster, not Seward, so the plan was already flawed. But on we go. Booth had the run of the Ford Theatre, and he could be and go anywhere in it as he pleased. It was his second home, his home away from home. He spent time in the saloon while the play broke for intermission. At about 10.15pm that night, Booth slips into Lincoln's box as the play resumed and shot Lincoln in the back of the head. Mayor Rathbone was in the box and lunged at Booth, who then stabbed him. Booth jumped from the box, raised the knife and yelled, Sick Semper Tyrannus, which in English means thus always to tyrants. And then Boot fled. Boot was the only one to succeed in his mission that night. Powell did stab Seward, but he lived and Atzadrat uh, bottled it and drank himself into oblivion, so Johnson was untouched. Boot has fled and rode with Harold, and they used the swampy terrain of Sikia Swamp as an escape route. By midnight they arrived at Seward's tavern, where they had stored guns, etc. from their kidnapping plot days. They headed south and April 15th they were at the home of Dr. Samuel Mudd to get treatment for Boots' injured leg after his horse fell on him during the escape. Then they went to the home of Samuel Cox and they hid in nearby uh, woods. A reward was raised for the two and the reward was $100,000, about $1.8 million today. Killing a president, as we know, is a huge thing and a big deal, so federal troops came in and combed inch by inch of woods and swamps as the nation went into mourning. April 18th, crowds came to view the slain president and the next day thousands arrived on a special trains. The night before they slept where they could, hotel floors, even on the Capitol's lawn. With his killing declaration at the scene, Boot became the number one suspect. Newspapers called him the devil, a monster and a madman. Pictures of Boot were dumped or burned. He literally became the most hated man in the US, but some did support him. So Boot's hiding in the woods in Maryland, waiting to cross the Potomac River. He'd read the papers and by April 20th, New Powell and others had been arrested. That same day, Lincoln's 13-day journey began. A funeral train slowly went west. Seven million or thereabouts lined the trains with mournful messages on signs. 
By April 24th, Booth made it to Richard Garrett's farm. William Jett, former cavalry soldier, was the one to take Booth here and introduce him to the Garrets as James Boyd, an injured Confederate soldier, who was going home. So the Garrets had no idea who he was, and because there was no Confederate mail delivered after the collapse, this is probably true, and they probably had no idea who they were housing. The evening he arrived, they had dinner and Booth found out about the Johnston's army surrender, meaning the last Confederate armed forces had fell. This meant the Civil War ended, but his attempt to save the Confederacy with Lincoln's killing had failed. At this point, the Garrets found out about Lincoln's debt and Booth's reward. Now they still didn't know Booth was Booth, but to test his safety, Booth asked the family would they t- turn in a fugitive, and he was told they might, if they needed the money. With this, Booth told the family the next day he was planning to go to Mexico. So Jet, the cavalry soldier who took Booth to the farm, was found by authorities and questioned, eventually given Booth's location. April 26, as the dawn came, the soldiers found the fugitives in Garrett's tobacco barn. David Harold, uh, he hands up, it's over, and surrendered, but Boot, nope, he threatened, he fought to fight till his dying breath. Inside the barn, surrounded, the soldiers decided to smoke Boot out, literally. They set the barn on fire, and Boot inside frantically darted back and forth, and was shot by Sergeant Boston Corbett, who claimed Boot raised a pistol, while others said Corbett shot without orders going against orders to take Boot alive. Boot is now fatally shot and he's dragged from the barn to the porch and died three hours later. He was 26 years old. His last words were said to be, quote, tell my mother I died for my country, end quote. Covered in a blanket, he was tied to a farm wagon and taken to Bell Plain. There he's put on USS Montauk and brought to Washington Navy Yard. Ten people who knew him came and identified the body. His third, fourth and fifth vertebrae were removed and are still at the National Museum of Health and Medicine. He was buried in 1865 in a storage room at the Arsenal Penitentiary. 1867 the body was reburied in a warehouse at Washington Arsenal and then in 1869 the body was given to the family and buried in a family plot in Baltimore. Eight others were trialed by a military tribunal and found guilty on June 30th, 1865. Powell, Harold and Atzerdot were hung and the doctor to patch boot up Samuel Mudd got life in prison. Before I finish up for today, I probably should mention the conspiracy idea which often comes with these stories. So in 1907, a man named Finnis Bates says, claims or alleges that a lookalike of Boots at Garrett's farm was killed and not Boots and that Boots himself actually escaped. He claimed that Boots went by the name John St. Helen and made it to Texas. At some stage he was near death and confessed he was the real Boots but he got better and ran off. 1903 this man left the world by his own hands going by the new name David George. 
Bates wrote a book on this selling 70,000 copies by 1913 and Bates had a mummified body which he claimed was St. Helen or Boots and showed him in carnival sideshows. The mayor of Baltimore, William Pegram, came out in 1913 giving a sworn statement that the body he seen in 1869 was that of Boots. Others also came out and said we seen the body and it was Boots, including his own dentist. Other, Boots, other books would come and claim Boots lived and in 1994 two historians and descendants of Boots wanted the body exhumed to prove or disprove once and for all the theory. But the request was denied by the Baltimore Circuit Court, which to me add fuels to the fire, because the theory is linked to the idea that the government was covering the fact that Boot escaped. I mean, if relatives are asking, what is the issue? However, I do see the point of not disturbing the dead. In 2010, uh, Edwin Boot's descendants got permission to exhume and get DNA, and they wanted to compare it to John Boot's again to end the escape theory once and for all. But Mount Auburn Cemetery said they were never contacted to exhume Edwin. So the family asked the National Museum of Health and Medicine for DNA from the vertebrates of John Boot. On March 30, 2013, the museum's spokesperson, a woman called Carol Johnson, said this request has been rejected. And that is the story of John Wilkes Boot. Hit that like button. If you're not subscribed, please get subscribed and ring the hell out of that bell. Next time is the story of USS Acorn, a helium-filled airship. So not like the Hindenburg, which was hydrogen. The uh, Acorn operated September 1931 to April 1933. It would be destroyed in a thunderstorm where 73 of 76 crew and passengers sadly died. Until then, this was the good, the bad and the pure evil.